took a walk in the snow Couples holding hands, places to go Seems like everyone but me is in love Santa, can you hear me? Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's here. It's finally here. The final month of 2022 has arrived. December has shaped up pretty amazing with incredible guests sharing information you need to know, like my very first guest today. You've likely seen the viral signal for help that women have been sharing on social media since the pandemic started, but you probably don't know that this initiative was created by the Canadian Women's Foundation. Pamela DePinto is the manager of the Signal for Help and joins me today to share how it started, some very public success stories of it working, and more importantly, how you should respond should someone send you this signal. Christmas with teens can be challenging for both sides. Parents are often left shell-shocked as their sweet, excitable child is replaced by a sullen antisocial teen, and teens are left wondering, what's all the fuss about anyway? Allie Payne, what she says expert on the parent-teen dynamic, is here today with some tips for getting through this year's holiday with comfort and joy. Anne Brody has heaps of new entertainment, including South Korea's stunning espionage thriller, Hunt. The emotionally charged The Eternal Daughter, starring the amazing Tilda Swinton playing a dual role as mother and daughter. The wait is finally over. Three Pines is here on Amazon Prime. And the very steamy, super hot Lady Chatterley's Lover on Netflix that is going to give the wedding scene on The Highlander a run for its money. Layoffs are becoming headlines all too frequently now and it can cause anxiety for those that fear they may be next. Natalie Romero knows how you're feeling all too well after being laid off this summer from Shopify. Natalie joins me to share her best tips for getting through a layoff in the best shape possible. If you're sober curious or have given up drinking entirely, the holidays can be challenging. Sarah Kate from somegoodcleanfun.com stops by with some tips on everything from what to drink, to preparing yourself mentally, to being the only sober person in the room. This interview is great fun for everyone, whether you drink or not, if only because it offers perspectives on the other side, and that's important when we gather to celebrate. Finally, where you spend your money this holiday season matters. Every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. Erin Brillen from Totem House Designs is here to share ways to ensure your dollar helps instead of hurts, especially when it comes to purchasing Indigenous-made items. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Very often, trends go viral and the public has very little idea where it originated from. Such was the case for me with the simple one-handed gesture I kept seeing on social media that indicated a woman needed help from an abusive situation. We need not wonder where this originated from any longer. The Signal for Help is the Canadian Women's Foundation's global award-winning initiative. 
Pamela DePinto is the manager of the Signal for Help campaign at the Canadian Women's Foundation. She is passionate about building community, particularly elevating female voices and experiences towards gender justice. She joins me today to discuss the Signal for Help and to share some data and information you need to know on gender-based violence. Welcome to the show, Pamela. Hi, thank you for having me. I have to tell you, I mean, I've had the Canadian Women's Foundation on many times. And so when I found that you were connected to this, I felt very proud of this uh, relationship that I have with you. You guys are doing such great work. Were you surprised by how it was picked up so quickly and became so well known globally? Well, thank you. I'm glad that yeah, you've been following us and that you recognize the signal for help. Um, I think we were a little bit surprised, honestly, by how viral it went so quickly. This was something that we created in 2020 at the height of the pandemic, really anticipating a spike in gender-based violence, just because of the home isolation measures and all of the stressors that was going on with the, with the COVID-19 pandemic at the time. That, and there was this real rise in the use of video calls. So knowing all of this was at play, we thought something was needed to let people know or like to, we thought something was needed um, so that somebody could like reach out for help if they needed to, because it was gonna be so much harder during that time. Um, and so we created this signal, this one-handed signal you could use uh, on a video call or any way really to silently say, I need help and I need you to check in with me safely. Something we just posted organically on the internet and it really just took off from there. So clearly there was a need for it and we were, you know, glad to see it was something that was resonating with people um, and that they were using. But that also meant that a lot of what we anticipated around those those risks around gender-based violence and that increase was also happening. So um, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Yeah, in a perfect world, we would not even have need for this signal. Uh, did you hear stories of where it had been used um, to help somebody? We did hear some stories and probably the one that was uh, most popularized and was making a lot of headlines was a story out of the United States where a 16-year-old girl was actually kidnapped and she was able to use the signal for help out of a car window and somebody passing by recognized the signal, understood what it meant and contacted the authorities so she could get the help that she needed. That is... Um, not, not a story we anticipated, but we're glad that, you know, through um, the Signal for Help's reach, that she knew what it was, how to use it, and someone recognized it and knew that they should call authorities. We also heard some stories um, out of Spain, where a woman used it in a hospital waiting room. Once again, where a woman used it um, after she was in a vehicle with her partner and her child, and a police officer had pulled them over. She used it um, to alert the police officer that she needed help. There's been like a few stories that have really made headlines um, with the signal for help, but we know that for every story that makes headlines and that we hear about, there are countless others that we, we don't, you know, those more of those everyday interactions. And those are really extreme cases, you know, something in public where someone was in an emergency situation. There was also actually, I should mention too, there was one with a, a YouTuber um, in the Middle East who used it. She has millions of followers. She made it on a video before signing off and that alerted authorities to check in with her too. So it can be used in a lot of situations, but we're you know, really hoping that just like every day that you know, it's, it's, useful, it's useful and we're just not hearing about it. And you know, it's something that people 
can use in that time of need. And now we're really trying to figure out, you know, that next stage of like, okay, if you see the signal for help or someone, you know, discloses abuse to you, what do you do? That's kind of the next step here. Yeah, and that's actually where exactly where I was leading. So if you are, you know, if you see this uh, one-handed signal out in public or you're on a video conference with somebody and they use it, what do you do? Yeah, it's, you know, every situation is different. So you definitely have to, you know, do what's best in the situation. But we do share a few simple steps, you know, that we could, we hope will help in those instances. So kind of first things first is you want to reach out to the person safely. You know, sometimes you're able to respond in the moment, but at times when you can't, you want to reach out in a safe way. So basically that means just in a way that you're not going to alert a potential abuser that something is going on. So you could say, call someone, try to make sure that they're alone, or at the very least ask them questions that could be responded with a yes or a no, just in case someone is um, like listening over the conversation. Or you could, you know, reach out through some kind of messaging service and just keep it very general, just like a, hey, how are you doing? I'd love to catch up. And again, people who are in abusive situations are often closely monitored. So both of these examples are ways that you can reach out um, in a safer way. Once you reach out, you want to be supportive. So that means, you know, acknowledging the person's um, experience, validating their feelings, listening and letting them take the lead on what happens next. It's so natural for us, especially if this is someone that we know and we care about. We want to jump in with solutions and we want to be like quote unquote fix the problem. But we really want to let the person in the situation take the lead on what happens next. They might want you to call someone um, to help you know, coordinate some services. They might want you to call an emergency unit or they might just want you to listen and just support them in that moment. You really need to let them take the lead on this because they're the expert on what's going to be safest and best for them. And then next, it's good to know, you know, two to three local services in your area because then if that person is ready to take that next step, you can have those on hand and refer them to that additional support if they need. So those are just a few simple things that you can keep in mind and really it just comes down to approaching it in a way that's sensitive and judgment-free. There's so much stigma and blame surrounding abuse that can really silence and re-traumatize victims. So you really want to try to keep your reactions in check and focus on the person being hurt. Absolutely. Nobody asks to be in a situation like this. Uh, so, you know, removing any shame associated with it is key, I think. Uh, let's talk about some of the stats, though, because I think people would be alarmed to know just how many people do suffer from gender-based violence. Yeah, the stat is quite alarming, honestly. And um, the most recent study that we've done, we actually found that 59% of people in Canada reported knowing someone, a woman in particular, who has experienced some form of physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. So that's more than half of people in Canada who report knowing a woman who has experienced abuse. You might not you might not even know it in your life, um, but likely you do know someone who's been touched by violence. And we also know that in other studies that we've done, that people in Canada, the majority of people in Canada, they know gender-based violence is a problem and they want to do something about it. But there's a lot of uh, feelings of this is too big for me to really make a difference as an individual, or I'm scared I'm going to make things worse if I get involved. But we know that the the desire to help is there. Um, we also know, I think it's about one in five people um, are 
confident they would know what to say or do to support someone in an abusive situation. So that's quite low. So even though we know it's a problem and we want to do something about it, we don't feel confident and prepared to actually step in and help. So that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to bridge that gap with the Signal for Help campaign. Yeah, this this is absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I, I asked you prior to this interview if, you know, if, if this sort of spiked in December uh, and you said you didn't have any real data, but uh, you know, it is a stressful time uh, on a variety of fronts, not just the holidays, economically, uh, you know, illnesses, people are just feeling pressure. And I, I can't imagine that this isn't somehow contributing to a spike in gender-based violence. Uh, so I hope people uh, will go to your site and learn, A, what the signal is and how to use it and identify it, and B, how to respond accordingly. Um, could you share the social channel so people can do that, please? For sure. So we're on all major social media at Canadian Women's Foundation, um, just kind of generally across the board. So that's Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and then the website where you can go to actually sign up to be a Signal for Help responder is signalresponder.ca. And what I mean by sign up to be a Signal for Help responder is you enter um, your contact information and we automatically send you uh, what we call the Signal for Help Responders Action Guide. So it goes through in detail those tips that I just talked about. It also goes a little bit more into like what is gender-based violence and lists some numbers across the country for different services that you could access if you need support. And then it also enrolls you in this learning journey. So we keep in touch with you along the way, sending you emails that go a little bit deeper into the issues. We invite you to events. And probably uh, most excitingly, um, starting next week, we'll be launching a Signal for Help Responder mini course. Uh, so this is something you can take online at your own pace. Uh, the whole thing takes an hour if you want to do it all. Um, and this is in that time where you can learn a little bit more about how to properly support someone who might be experiencing abuse. So there's lots of ways to get involved and learn more. So that's signalresponder.ca. Amazing. I'm going to put all these links in the liner notes when it goes out on podcast. Pamela, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. She keeps an eye the sky. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Because you're the reason for the season. It's Christmas time and that means everything changes when you have teenagers in the house for parents and teens. So Allie Payne, our resident expert on all things adolescence, is here to give us some tips today. Welcome, Allie. Thanks for having me, Candice. You know, it's funny, like Christmas for me was a little bit bittersweet when my kids became teens because as a parent, it's hard to see them grow and change. But now that we're a few years into it, in fact, my kids are on the verge of young adulthood, it's a lot of fun too. So there is this little bit, it's like a roller coaster through the teen years, isn't it? Yeah. And that's a great point because it's that really difficult window when 
teenagers may not be as excited about Christmas itself. They may not give two craps about your family traditions that they once thought were magical and amazing. And it's really hard not to take that personally. So what I want to give parents today is a couple tips to navigate the holiday season, which um, can be really fun, but it can also be extremely frustrating. Um, so here's the first one. Make agreements with your teenagers. Actually talk about it. Please do not leave all of your expectations of how they're going to be and how you want to feel unspoken or projected on them. It will never work. Talk about the holidays. Talk about what they want for the holidays, what you want for the holidays, and how you can somehow meet in the middle as far as agreements in because of course they're gonna spend time in their rooms or on their phones or with their friends and how that can work knowing it's going to be different. I wanna insert this tiny little piece of data here. By 12 years old, teenage children have spent 73% of their living hours with you. By 18, they have spent 92% of their living hours with you. That is statistically normal and necessary for them to build independent adolescent brains. So please, don't expect them to want to spend every day with you. Tip number two is you've also got to do this with your family because there's nothing worse than when your parents come or your grandparents, who you love and respect, and you're feeling shamed or crapped on because your teenagers are not, in air quotes, being the way they were supposed to be back in my day. And so I did this with my son who has a significant anxiety. And so I would make deals with him that he could come out for half hour periods and then go and escape to his room to recharge, which was mentally well, uh, well, mental well-being for him. And I had to really navigate this with family because they had a lot of judgment about that and that they should, they should be helping and participating and they should be. And to say, look, you know, I appreciate that's how it was in your day. And, and that, how did that work for you? And just get curious about their experience. And then also say, this is what's true for us and what feels respectful for us. And so we're not trying to change your parents' mind. You're not making your parents wrong. And you're not participating in the shame storm that they are currently wanting to put on you because they don't know another way to say, I'm uncomfortable for with this and it doesn't work for me. I, I really love this. And I love that it's about creating boundaries for, yes. your, for your for your core family, you know, for the, the family that's in your home to create those boundaries with people who come and visit. And yes. that's perfectly acceptable to do because at the end of the day, you're still all going to be left in the house and you don't want all this tension coming at you, right? No, no. And, and, and here's one last thing I will say real quick is as far as gifts and presents and all the rest, you don't need to buy your teenagers love. Okay. So let's just say that right now. You do not need to buy your teenagers love. That's not what this is about. And their wish list PS is not a, a reflection of that you've raised and completely ungrateful and entitled teen. It is a version of what is important to them. Get curious about it. It doesn't mean you're obligated to buy everything of it. Same thing. Have conversations about expectations. What Christmas is not about necessarily budget or finances, but this is what Christmas is about for us. And this is what it's going to look like so that we can have the best experience possible and avoid disappointment, arguments, the yelling, all of the rest. It's just not necessary and you deserve better. Yeah, I really love the, the advice you're giving here too. And, and, you know, if I can just insert a little bit of my wisdom on this, I would say it's a yeah. little bit of a dance, you know, it is. sometimes you're going to get it right. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But, you know, if you're coming at it where, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me was I had to shake that they were no longer children. 
And I had to yes. let them have autonomy yes. and make their own decisions. That was a game changer. Oh my gosh, I'm over here. <laughs> I'm doing the hell yeah over here. And it really is, you're not raising a child who's compliant and obedient. Can we remove that? You are now raising an adult whose job, their entire brain job is to build autonomy and independence. And we must respect and work with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling for parents who are entering this stage and are going to have, you know, those little pangs of when my kids were little, I'm almost teary thinking about it. You know, it's so hard, oh, but yeah. you know, it is also rewarding. Uh, you know, I'm noticing this year, my kids are coming back to some of the traditions. They're putting twists on them, uh, mind you, yes. and making it a little more adult, uh, but still very fun. And I'm so thrilled that they've sort of come back to this on their own. And so for anybody who's a little discouraged, just know that they do, they do come around. Yeah, it's not through force. Uh, it is through constant conversation and boundaries and clearing expectations so we can come to respectful agreement. Amazing. Allie, thank you so much. Uh, Merry Christmas. Thank you. You too. I'm so excited about 2023. We're going to head in with some great tips for parents. And um, I just want to um, direct people to your social channels because I know you're sharing all the time. So where can they find you? Yeah, I'm at Allie Payne, A-L-Y-P-A-I-N on TikTok, Instagram, and my website, AllyPayne.com. Incredible. Allie, thank you so much. Thank you. Just you and me under a tree. A cozy little Christmas here with you. It's time to find out what's new in entertainment with Anne Brody. So let's jump right in. Lots to get to. What do you want to talk about first, Anne? Well, there's so many great things this week, but my favorite, I think, is Hunt, which is a, an espionage thriller loosely based on fact from South Korea. Now, back in the 80s, uh, South Korea was a dictatorship. So, and at war, in every possible way, you know, um, underground, overground, whatever, with North Korea. So what we have is two arch enemies um, who have to investigate to find out who the North Korean mole is in the intelligence agency. If they don't find out who it is, they'll be executed. I mean, it's it was it's that extreme. So we follow them, and it, I'm telling you, this, the film is brilliant. The twists and turns and um, the emotional connection we have with this. And I did not know that in 10 days in South Korea back then, the government had murdered about 3,000 people. So it was a big deal. I don't remember any of this. So that's Hunt, and it is in select Canadian theaters, including uh, locally Lightbox. Okay, I want to I, I want to tell you which one uh, drew me the most this week, and it's because she's just so freaking oh. brilliant. Is Tilda oh. Swinton? Tilda Swinton, Tilda Swinton. I've loved her for so long, and I've been fortunate enough to interview her a number of times. So kind she is. She can do anything. She plays her her own mother and daughter in the Eternal Daughter. So. Mother and daughter have gone off for a weekend to celebrate mother's birthday. They go to a stately mansion, a spooky stately mansion somewhere in the UK. And I just can't remember exactly where. I know they shot it in Wales. But um, 
they have very strained conversations and it seems like something's missing. Um, and it's very intense. They've got this beautiful, oh, you're going to love Louie. Louie the dog. Oh, it, he seems to sleep on command. He cuddles. He's there everywhere. He's, he's a character. He's, a, he's an actual character in the story. And his behaviors um, trigger uh, revelations. So anyway, there's such a shocking twist towards the end that I don't know who else could ever have pulled off except Tilda Swinton. I just don't want to say too much about it. I want people to have the full experience. And I was looking online and people were saying, oh, it's a ghost story. Well, it's not a ghost story at all. It's about a woman who is haunted by herself, by being herself. Um, and it, it takes us into all kinds of unusual, fresh, unique territory within the framework of something spooky, but psychologically terrifying. Well, I have not seen the movie, but just the trailer, but just what I gleaned from the trailer, I feel there's a lot said about the mother-daughter bond in this movie alone. Oh, yeah. Uh, just what I pulled out of it about, you know, being your mother and what that means. And uh, very, uh, just that trailer just hooked me. So I can't wait to see it. Oh, um, it's worth it. Of course, the one we've been gearing up to now for a couple of Yay. weeks now, because you've had some interviews with, with uh, Louise Penny and a couple of the stars is Three Pines. So Louise Penny is a very well-known um, author of mysteries set in her part of Quebec, which is the Eastern Townships, and it's all about nature and small communities. Well, Three Pines, which believe it or not is executive produced by and stars British actor Alfred Molina. Now, why he would know about these or want to do it or spend so much time in deep winter out there he and Elmaya Tailfeathers star, um, and Tracy Deer uh, directs two episodes about uh, residential schools. Anyway, it's a Nordic noir sort of Quebecois style, <laughs> and it's really good. I can't emphasize how much I love this series. Um, it's on Prime Video, and it's another production of Amazon Canada Studios, so very proud. It's going out into the world. Um, at the same time it goes out to us, which is now. So the world is going to see that it's a Canadian story set in Canada by Canadians and know how awesome that is. And she's, Louise Penny is obviously wonderfully talented. I've met her, by the way. She's lovely. No way. Um, yeah, and, but also I just want to mention, you know, much like Goodwood, Godwood, Goodwood from Schitt's Creek became sort of a destination after the show. Yeah, yeah. It's worth noting that uh, places like Knowlton, uh, you know, uh, where much of this story is set and the Abbey, uh, these will become huge draws as Three Pines comes out. So I would say book your trip now because beautiful destination. But if you're into Louise Penny books, you have to visit yeah. uh, Knowlton and the Eastern Townships. So speaking of Goodwood, I've been going there to the bakery for like 12 years on the herb farm. So to me, it's just, <laughs> it looks so cute when it's dressed up, but it's not now. Anyway, locations are important. All right. Uh, we got time for one more. Tell me all about Lady Chatterley's Lover, because this looks steamy. Oh, man. If you want a little bit of a few erotic thrills, this is the one. It's, it's the D.H. Lawrence story, which was banned on publication. And it's about a, a woman who marries an aristocrat. He's wounded in the war. He's a bit of a son of a gun to begin with. He's not nice. She falls out of love with him. So she begins an affair with his gamekeeper. So um, this is 
Emma Corrin from The Crown and Jack O'Connell, who I've loved forever. Um, and they, they become bolder and bolder in their affair. They run around naked in the woods, like not a good idea. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's just about skin, you know. Yeah, well, it, it totally gives <laughs> off Highlander vibes. You know, that wedding scene from Highlander that every woman yes. goes on about? Absolutely reminds me of that. So I think everybody, uh, you know, it's a little cold out. You could heat things up a bit by turning that on this week. So um, that's right. That's on Netflix, right, Anne? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks so much for joining me. We'll see you next week. See you next week. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Barely a day goes by anymore without layoffs hitting the news. Just hearing about them can be anxiety-inducing and being caught in, up in them even more so, obviously. Natalie Romero is a talent professional with 20 years of experience in the talent space. She has worked in different industries, including consulting, manufacturing, and tech, and has broad experience, which includes benefits, business partner work, building out early talent programs, and recruiting. She's also intimately familiar with layoffs and joins me today to share some wisdom for those who have been recently laid off or that may be anticipating it in their future. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. So we were just talking before we started and I was saying, I imagine being laid off is much like going through the stages of grief. You know, you have that denial and then the anger and then the acceptance. Is that what it was like for you? Absolutely. It, it started to mention that the when I had initially found out, um, one of the pieces that really impacted me was that I, I, I absolutely was in denial. I, I, the message came out that this was happening, and I looked at it and said, "No, this, this, this doesn't impact me. It's not. I, I'm not part of this group." Um, I was um, a part of the group, and my initial, initially, I didn't. I felt like I was supposed to cry and I felt, I, I don't think I actually shed tears, but it was like, I think I'm supposed to cry. I think I'm supposed to be angry. I think I'm supposed to, what am I supposed to do with this information? And, and it spun through my head and over the, the course of days, weeks, I'd say even months, those emotions have gone up and down from um, denial, as you said, to um, grief, to loss, um, loss over something you loved and, and, and that, that change that now your life is going to go through this massive change. And in all honesty, anger and bitterness are part of that as well. Yeah. And you were, I mean, it's worth noting, it's no secret, you were laid off from Shopify, which is yes. sort of, you know, a little bit of the canary in the coal mine when it comes to all of these tech layoffs we're seeing now. You were laid off uh, in, this year, were you not? I was. It, it was in July of, of this year, the end of July. So your your sad experience, of course, is going to benefit people listening to this today because you've had time to work through the ups and downs of being laid off and how to transition through that. So what's the first thing you would want people to understand? 
I think the first thing that I I had to take a moment to realize is that being laid off is not a reflection of you or the work you're capable of. Um, of course, you're going to go through a moment that where you say to yourself, like, what did I do? Could I have done anything different? Could I have worked harder? Could I have been better? Um, but when I took a, a step back, I realized that... Um, this wasn't a reflection of me. Uh, I know that I was good at my work. Um, I did all the right things. My performance review showed that. Ultimately, it was a business thing, and and my my heart and my head knew that. But it took it took some time for me sitting down and saying to myself, "This really isn't about you and what you can do." Um, and I needed to I needed to go through that so that I could lick my wounds and and keep going. Yeah, I love that you said that, you know, it's not a reflection of you, because I think that we do get caught up in our own emotions, like, but I was a good worker, but I was valuable. Yeah. Uh, but it's really not, unfortunately, it's not about you at that moment. So it's about sort of compartmentalizing a little bit. Do you not find? Absolutely. You have to take a step back and realize that um, the business decisions, you know, these things, the economy has shifted, the economy has changed and business decisions have to be made. And um, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you put everything into your work. I mean, in all honesty, it was a little bit of a, a moment for me because throughout my entire career, I've always told myself that I would not be that person who, who put their identity into their, their work. And this experience made me note that I kind of did that. I kind of made my work my identity. I kind of made my job who I was. And um, it, it took a bit to, to, to come to that realization, to realize that I did that um, and to shake it. I love that. I, it's a, that's a great reminder is that we are not our jobs. Uh, and that's, that's so uh, impactful right now. So, so obviously, though, the thing of it is, is that we need our jobs to create the life we want to live. And so people are laid off and there's probably, I'm going to anticipate some moments of panic. Uh, what am I gonna do? Um, especially now as, we, as everything is becoming so out of control with costs. How long did you take before you jumped back into a job search? Yeah, I think um, I think this, I, I probably didn't take the time I should have to, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think my initial, I don't know, I kind of went right away. It, my initial reaction was like, okay, I'm going to take a few days. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to let this resonate. I'm going to figure out what's next for me before I even jump in. The fear hits, like you said, the fear of, I have a family. Um, okay, this happened. I have a family. I, I need to take care of them. What am I going to do? Um, as you mentioned, this Shopify isn't the only company that's laid people off. And so you start seeing, you know, online all these stories and, and the fear takes over and the fear kind of said, "Uh Oh, you better, you better run before you get left behind. You better get out there and start looking. Um, so I, I, I sat on it I, literally for an afternoon. Um, I then, I, I, I made the decision to lean on my network. I became vulnerable. I, I posted on LinkedIn that I had, I had been laid off, that I had lost my job. Um, what fueled that is that, firstly, I'll say I'm absolutely grateful that I, that I did that, that I leaned on my network. I think that's what led me to land where I am now. Um, 
But it did multiple things. Number one, it reminded me that I was not alone. There was a massive group of people in this one layoff from this one company. There was a large number of people who were experiencing what I was experiencing. And um, there's... There's a, there was a little bit of comfort in knowing that I was not alone. That's not even in, including other companies that were going through layoffs at the same time. Um, but also, I started, when I, when I made the post on LinkedIn, I started to see my network come to me and people making comments saying how much they had enjoyed working with me. Um, I'm in talent acquisition. I had candidates that I had worked with reach out to me and say, you had provided such a good experience for me in, in my, you know, career journey. And how can I help? Let me, let me know if you need some, you know, referrals or things like that. Um, other people that I had worked closely with, you know, commented on on how how much of an experience, a good experience they'd had with me. That reminded me of that that point of this isn't about me it reminded me that I, I know what I'm doing I'm good at what I do um, and I was able to shake it off a little and then what that also did is um, it provided ex- opportunities for me you know people started to reach out to say they had openings there was hey look at this job I saw or I'm looking to bring someone into my team are you interested and I started to realize that there there was life um, after a layoff. There were other opportunities out there. And and that's when I started to shake the like, this one piece of my life does not define me. um, And I can do other great things. I can move on from this and do other great things. And I think it, there was also a bit of a support system, you know, um, I, I, I jumped into some Slack groups of people who had experienced layoffs and, and we just, you know, we shared with each other, today's a hard day today. I'm not feeling great. Or guess what? I had such a great conversation with another company. And, um, I think that helped me get through those initial, initial few days and weeks. So, I mean, to answer your question, that was a little bit of a long way to answer, but to answer your question, I think, I probably should have taken a little bit more time, but I kind of jumped right in um, and and started looking within within a few days. I love that. And there was a lot that you just said there that to unpack, I mean, and we don't even have time to get into it all today, but I mean, it's worth noting a couple of things is, you know, uh, I've mentioned it before, but your network is your net worth. Um, yes. Don't burn bridges. You never know when you're going to fall back on those yes. people. And don't sleep on LinkedIn. Get yourself on LinkedIn. It's a very powerful platform um, for connecting and finding others who are living this experience at the same time as you. Um, Natalie, I can't thank you enough for joining me. We're out of time. We're not going to be able to get to it all. But I do want to let people know you were kind enough to write uh, an article for what she said that they can go check out. So I'm going to point them to what she said talk.com uh, for your all your wisdom. But where can they connect with you? Yeah, um, connect with me on LinkedIn is is probably the best place. Uh, Natalie Romero, you can you can check me out there. Um, I love the connections. It's a great place to to connect um, that way. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram um, under Natalie Romero. Um, but I'd say LinkedIn is probably the best place to reach out to me. Natalie, I can't thank you enough. I, I do want to point out to people that you came to me uh with this with this because um you wanted to give people some comfort and some hope as these layoffs loom so i just i can't thank you enough thank you so much for having me and if i can just leave one last 
you know, word of wisdom to people experiencing it, you'll get through it, um, feel the feels and, and come out the other side stronger. Amazing. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thanks for making me fire. Made me learn a little bit faster. Made my skin a little bit thicker. Makes me that much smarter. Thanks for making me fire. For many of us, the holidays mean slipping a little Baileys in our coffee, indulging in eggnog and toasting with champagne. But my next guest wants to know, why does this have to make the holidays fun? Could you make merry with no alcohol? Sarah Kate knows you can. A former wine-loving mom of two, Sarah is on a mission to help women rethink drinking and overcome the normalization of alcohol everywhere by inspiring them to find the fun in life without alcohol. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me today. I wanted to have you back for December because I think December is a tricky month for people who are either sober curious, um, have not been drinking for some time, or are heading into the holidays thinking, I really don't want to drink as much as I have in the past. Um, so let's break down that. How do we get through the holidays, maybe with less or no alcohol? Yeah, this is a really hard time of year because the pressure is really extreme. There's been a normalization of uh, you have to drink to enjoy the holidays. So the first step that I that I that I did because I actually went through a holiday um, rethinking drinking was I really changed my mindset to playing the tape forward and thinking what are the benefits. So rather than thinking about the negative side of like what I'm missing out on, I flipped to what are the benefits going to be for me to be at this place, be in this experience without having a boozy drink. So I really focused on. I'm present, my mind is clear, I can really enjoy the company of the people I'm talking to. And I used to be a very heavy wine drinker. So even at, at parties, while I was talking to somebody, I was always conscious of how much wine was left in my glass, and where I was going to get what you know, is there going to be another glass of wine? And it takes, I, I really started to focus on like, the clear headedness, I, I didn't have to worry about that anymore. And you can really connect with people. So playing the tape forward, thinking about how you're going to feel in the morning and the benefit of being of feeling healthy. So that's one. The second thing I think is really key is there are so many great non-alcoholic drinks out there now that you can slip a couple in your purse, literally just take a small little, one of those little elegant sparkling wine cans, non-alcoholic wine cans, slip it in your bag, find a glass wherever you are if you're going to a house party and pour that in and nobody's going to be the wiser, you know, so you've got, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to have FOMO. You're going to have a drink in your hand and your mind is going to be in the right place. Yeah. And you're going to remember everything about the party the next day, which is also an added bonus. And I, yeah. and I would say, though, you know, that the, the biggest challenge, I think, uh, because I, I stopped drinking for I think it was about 245 days. And for me, the the struggle was being around people who were drinking as they became increasingly inebriated. And I was the sober one. How did you manage that? Yeah, I, you know what? I became very good at like, I can't remember the term now, but there's a book called The Sober Lush. And that's where I learned about how to do this. It's like, you just leave quietly. You don't make a big stink about leaving. You're just like, okay, everybody around me is like slog getting sloshed and annoying. I'm just going to slip out without anybody noticing because they're already they're, they're already starting to drink a lot. Nobody's going to notice that you're gone really. 
And so kind of slipping out the back door, I think it's called an Irish exit. I remember too, COVID was, you know, for two years, I didn't have, there weren't a lot of parties that I had to go to. I was very lucky. So the few times I did have to do that, I'm really confident in like, I'm done now. I've talked to everybody I wanted to. I've laughed. I've had some great snacks because this is the thing when you're not drinking, you you realize there's so much delicious food out there to eat at parties. And okay, see you later. I'm done. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. And so yeah, it's it's difficult once. And if you're stuck at a place like that, uh, you know, find time for yourself. Go go. You know, go to the washroom. Take a deep breath. Look out the window. You know, if if you're stuck somewhere. But that is that is tough for sure. <laughs> I just want to bring up something you and I discussed prior to this interview. I had said to you when I initially had sort of paused drinking for a time, I chose Boxing Day as my day. I didn't wait for New Year's Day. What would you say to people who are thinking about exploring uh, sobriety for a little bit, giving it a try? Yeah, so uh, my my alcohol-free lifestyle started slowly. So I didn't have like a day in mind necessarily. Like it's it's a bit of a longer story, but now that I... I'm looking back at it. I'm glad that I kind of was like, you know, just start now. Just start now. Just start with the first, like, you don't have to wait for Monday. You don't have to wait for after the weekend. Um, you know, instead of reaching for a glass of wine while you're wrapping presents, you know, have a glass of water. Like, just in that moment when you're coming back, you know, uh, you don't, you, you definitely don't, it's easier to start now because the longer you wait, um, it's going to the harder it will be it will be to adapt to that. And I think Mel Robbins talks about this, the, the one, two, three, go the liftoff. Um, is that Mel, Mel? I forget her name, but it she, is Mel Robbins. Yes, yeah. yes. She says, get up, you count to three backwards or five backwards, and then you rocket launch out into whatever your plan of attack is. And so it's the same with dieting, too. You know, you don't have to wait for Monday to start your diet, have a glass of water, have a salad for dinner, start now, start taking those steps now, because the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be to adapt to change. Well, one of the things I'm most pleased about is this conversation about alcohol. A lot of the shame has been shaken from it. People are just openly discussing it now, which I love. So I want them to be able to find you and pick up your tips, listen to you. You don't come at it with like pressure or shaming or, you know, forcing anybody into it. You're all about the good, clean fun. Uh, so where can they find you? So somegoodcleanfun.com is an online publication. We do non-alcoholic drink recipes, non-alcoholic wine reviews lifestyle articles about some of this these topics um, so that's on the web and then I'm at some good clean fun and at rethinking drinking on Instagram so you can um, find me there all right Sarah always a delight to have you here thank you so much for joining me thank you so much Candace have a good day Merry Christmas Merry Christmas with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. This holiday season, where you spend your money matters. Every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. Erin Brillen is the owner of Totem Design House, a gallery, boutique, and online store in the Comox First Nation on Vancouver Island, where she and her team design and produce an array of Northwest Coast Native art products. Totem Design House is a 100% Native-owned and operated social enterprise, which has a focus on giving back, with 10% of annual profits being donated to Copper Legacy 
Legacy Indigenous Empowerment Society. Erin joins me now to discuss conscious consumerism and how it's the best path forward. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thanks for having me. It's a thrill to have you here. And I, I, you know, I had a conversation with Crystal, who works uh, public relations for you prior to you coming on the show. And I was telling her this story about how I was on a trip and I came across some Indigenous artwork. And I had a hard time determining where that was made. And that really made me aware that it's important to ask those questions. Yeah, absolutely. It, it has been tricky. And we try to do as much education about that as possible. Essentially, if you are looking to buy from Indigenous owned companies, the best thing to do is to actually look at the website because most of the time they're going to say who they are, where they're from, like their tribal affiliation, what community they're in, and all of that information will be readily available on a website. It's not always easy to identify from a product tag, um, but we do try to educate the public about where they purchase their items from because when you're buying direct from indigenous owned companies um, you're definitely helping with economic reconciliation um, and it, it helps us in in the long run so when you source the materials for the goods you make how do you determine that it's coming from you know the proper sources what steps do you take well, whenever we're sourcing, we look for as locally as possible. And that's not always possible. So we have to move farther and farther out. Um, but for example, some of our fabrics that are all certified eco-friendly, those are not created here in Canada. Uh, we have a supplier that's based out of Vancouver, and they deal with a certified um, eco-friendly fabric manufacturer overseas. So in instances like that, it's not always easy to source locally, but we're going for the most eco-friendly option. And I think the, the biggest thing is to be, like you said, about being conscious about what we purchase. And in today's society, it's so easy to not be conscious because we can just click and purchase and it's done and we don't have to think about it anymore. So when you bring in that level of thinking about it, which brings me to my next question, because you mentioned about you don't trinketize can you expand on that? Well, I grew up in the Native art world, and the Northwest Coast Native art world was very illustrious. It was a very high echelon, a very high-valued art form. And over the last few decades, I've seen this shift towards putting these designs on all manner of products, and essentially it's sort of been cheapened to this tourist market products. And the sad part is, is these companies that are doing this are non-Indigenous owned. They are largely getting almost everything produced, mass produced overseas. And, you know, as much as those price points are attractive to people, I often look at them and think, are these products that would make our ancestors proud? Because my focus with my business has always been on, are we keeping the same level of quality and workmanship as what our you know, ancestors had always utilized in these art forms. And so for me, it's more important to have that element of it being handcrafted and that we are still having an element of of working the art forms <laughs> here in-house, which is we do a lot of the production in-house. And so that's always been the focus for me. What are the big sellers this season for you then? Oh, we have 
such an amazing array of things. And I find it's different for each type of market. With amongst our indigenous followers, our acrylic earrings are insanely popular. They're statement pieces. It's like a part of our cultural pride to show like this is who we are and we're sort of becoming more loud and proud about showing these cultural um, images on our own accessories. And the other aspect of that, which I find is an amazing bridge between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, is that my partner, Andy Everson, who's one of our key, um, our lead designers for the business, he has uh, combined um, images of pop culture, such as some Star Wars characters, and and combined that with original Native art. And that is something that speaks to all types of people. So it, it's something that sort of bridged this gap between people who wouldn't necessarily want to wear native designs, but when they see this blending of these, you know, pop culture and traditional designs, they're really into it. So we really find those ones are a hot seller. And I think it's important to note, this is the difference between appropriation and appreciation is when you purchase specifically from uh, an indigenous business, uh, you know, that is respectfully sourcing their materials and working hard to help in their community, that's appreciation. Uh, when you buy it from somebody who's making it uh, on the cheap in a foreign country to make a quick buck, not so much. Absolutely. We get asked all the time, is it appropriate for non-Indigenous people to wear our clothing? And we say absolutely yes. I think that um, we we are very careful to not create things that are like on the line of regalia and ceremonial things. So everything that we sell on our website is completely appropriate for Indigenous and non-Indigenous people to wear. That's amazing. Well, we're all about building those bridges of what she said. So this is incredible. I want people to be able to find you for the holidays. So where can they connect with you, Erin? Oh, we can be found on our website, totemdesignhouse.com and on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at Totem Design House. Okay, incredible. We're going to put all of those links in the podcast for people to connect with you. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.